welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. I'm your host, Alex Banco. Before we get into my conversation with Wendy Simpson, I'd like to thank our podcast sponsor today, Point Click Care. Success isn't just getting to PDPM, it's about being ready for what comes next. Learn how you can prepare to go confidently into quality-based care with Point Click Care. When the Dallas-based skilled nursing operator Senior Care Centers filed for bankruptcy last December, its owners blamed its existing lease structures with landlords, calling them, quote, expensive. LTC Properties, a real estate investment trust, is one of those landlords, and CEO and President Wendy Simpson says she's not pleased about waiting on the bankrupt operator to make a key move as the legal process continues to play out in the courts. I wanted to talk to Simpson about the senior care center situation, as well as the ongoing industry debate over the state of the traditional sniff-reet relationship, and what she thinks about the growing influence of private equity investment in the space. Here's our conversation. Hey, Wendy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Let's just get right into it. One of the questions that I wanted to start with is something that's been going around the industry recently, the kind of the state of the sniff-reet relationship. We've seen some high-profile restructurings at companies. We've seen some receiverships and bankruptcies from companies that blamed the lease structures in the REIT model for some of those problems. I was wondering what your take is, what some of the advantages still are, and how it might need to evolve moving forward. Well, an advantage to SNF for the regional operator to access REIT financing, I think it's the best way for them to go unless they have a very friendly bank in the neighborhood or they've done some business with them before. But to access a few million dollars for an acquisition or to finance their operations by selling out some of their equity and using it to either grow the business or reinvest, I think that the REIT structure is still very viable for the skilled nursing sector. Now, we've heard several operators sort of blame the REIT structure for their operational problems. And it's not the REIT structure, it's the amount of money that either they took out or their prior owners took out when they sold the asset to a REIT. And when the REIT underwrote it, whether the REIT underwrote it at a decent margin after management fee to have the operator have a profit in addition to the management fee. And then the ups. We hear REITs always have ups, and that's not fair because we can't always increase our revenue because so much of it is government-based, and it's hard to get the government to give us an increase. We've got increased costs, so that is an issue, too. But historically, NIFs have been able to absorb a 2 to 2.5% rent bump every year if, indeed, when they wrote the lease, they had a margin of profit, and they didn't take the last dollar off of the table. So it's the structure of the lease when it goes in and not the fact that it's a REIT at all. A couple of the high-profile companies that we've been involved with that have filed for bankruptcy, Preferred Care first was because they got involved with a lot of uh, litigation in the states of Kentucky and New Mexico, had nothing to do with our leases. Our leases were profitable, but it got caught up in that bankruptcy and then preferred care eventually totally uh, reorganized or in the process of it. In the case of senior care centers, they did a lot of leases outside of our leases that were with sort of affiliates of their equity owners. And they, I think, set their rents way too high for those non-arm's length leases. Our leases, as we've been caught up in this bankruptcy, are 
part of what they would like to reorganize against. So it's not our leases that caused them. There were other leases that were, we feel, badly structured. So to put a negative against lease REIT financing for SNFs, I think, is way too onerous on the SNFs and the REIT relationship. Yes. What are some ways that you can avoid that? You know, I know you mentioned the underwriting of the deal in the early stages, mm-hmm. but sometimes these leases are, you know, 15 years, the buildings change hands. What are some ways that you think SNFs and REITs can get more on the same page and kind of prevent these sorts of issues going forward? Well, as I said, when you underwrite it, you really need to underwrite it with a cushion. We we underwrite it to a one and a half coverage ratio on trailing 12 months. And that historically has been a good lease that the operators have been able to make profit on that. But then again, it's only the, it's only the lease that you've written. And operators go out and sign leases with other companies, whether it's a private equity owner or another REIT, and they don't get the same underwritings. I can't think right now of a way that a REIT should do it differently than what we're doing in giving the operator plenty of, of operating margin. Got it. Yeah. And, you know, that's that, that's one thing that comes up again and again and again is it's really about, you know, the operator in any given lease situation, whether it's with a REIT or another kind of investor. You know, you, you, you want to have an operator in there that knows what they're doing and, as you mentioned, is willing to put some money back into the building. Yes. One of the things, though, that we are looking at doing and we offer all of our operators, the traditional triple net lease means that they pay property taxes, repairs and maintenance, and CapEx, and insurance. Our old leases didn't have this provision in there, but for CapEx items like you need a new roof or you need a new boiler or something like that, we will, as a REIT, fund that for a, a return. So one of the problems or one of the criticisms, which was fairly a criticism of the industry, the traditional triple net lease, was the operator was putting actual equity money in if it was a CapEx type of expenditure, which had to come from his bottom line. So we've recognized that. And over the years, we started many, many years ago offering our operators the CapEx they needed, not the repairs and maintenance money, but the CapEx they might need to improve or just maintain the building. But of course, we have to have a return on that. It's always cheaper than their equity dollars. So that's one area that has been changing over the years. I got to keep my eye out for that uh, when we write about different deals. Quickly, before we move off the topic of of the sort of REIT-SNF relationship, I know you mentioned that senior care centers, you said they were planning on reorganizing around some of those leases, the, the good ones that they had mm-hmm. with you. How's that progress coming? I mean, I know the, the bankruptcy wheels turn slowly, but are you pleased with the progress so far and, w- and where you're at? No, I'm not pleased with the progress of where we're at because we're still embroiled in it. The uh, debtors, the operator filed a plan a week or so ago. Their deadline for affirming leases, I think, was July 2nd. And they filed what we consider sort of a placeholder affirmation of the leases without without actually affirming them. It was sort of like, we want to keep them until we have more time to make a decision on what we can do because we don't have financing in place and we need some more time for financing. Well, the REIT 
the bankruptcy law gives them actually gave them until July 2nd, and they don't have other extensions. They were supposed to affirm or deny the lease at that time. Another thing that the operator has proposed is that these are really residential leases, and in bankruptcy code, residential leases don't need to be affirmed at the same pace as commercial leases. And so now we have to argue that they aren't residential leases. On the plus side, they're paying rent, they're maintaining the buildings. On the negative side, they're asking for more and more time to try to figure out where they can go forward or if they have to turn to a Chapter 7. We would just like an answer. We would like a definitive what's going to happen with our assets and are we happy with what's going to happen with our assets. Right now, it's hard for us to be awful when we're still being paid and other leases are not being paid, but we're still embroiled in it. Yeah, I've learned a lot about bankruptcy law covering this industry, and it's not the same as really any other kind of bankruptcy. It's in such a special circumstance. You know, you're dealing with vulnerable people who need continued care. You're dealing with government reimbursements. You're dealing with vendors. It's a tricky landscape when a nursing home provider goes under. Absolutely. And one of the things that we're doing, and we've said it on our our calls, is we, at this point, have an operator that wants to take all of these assets and would be a fairly quick transition. One for everybody who's working in the facility and everybody who's having care in those facilities. And two for our shareholders. They've been experiencing this uncertainty since last December, and probably even a little before that, because the industry always hears the drums before something actually happens. Yeah. Can you name the operator, or is it still under wraps? It's still senior care. I think they're going to try to reorganize as senior care. Oh, God. Oh, so the, oh you, you mean that we've got? No, yeah, no, I, got. we can't, because I've been told that LTC's comments are chilling the process. So I, I don't want to chill the process anymore. <laughs> I got it. I will uh, I, I will move on. I will move on. Thank let's you. let's talk <laughs> let's talk about some bigger level issues, some REIT specific issues. One of the other things that I find very interesting about this industry is that from the greater investment world, there's a lot of skepticism about SNFs as an investment vehicle. You know, people are concerned about the headline risk, they're concerned about the reimbursement pressures. But then again, there is a lot of capital chasing skilled nursing facilities of people who see an opportunity in there. So what would you say is the ideal mix in a REIT or any kind of a bigger, bigger investment portfolio of SNFs versus other asset classes, assisted living, independent living, memory care, all that? Mm-hmm. Either go big or, or share. Omega, I guess, is the, the one that is most SNF in terms of percentage. We have over the last maybe seven or eight years, enjoyed a about a 50-50, which has seen us through difficult times, the recession and that sort of thing. I think like a 70-30 is not a good position to be if you're high on the SNF side. I think NHI probably is a good example of being higher, uh, having a significant investment in SNFs, but higher in assisted living and independent living. I think the most you should go on a, on the SNF side is no more than 50% unless you go big like Omega has done. What's LTC's current mix? Well, right now we're about 50-50, but as we've mentioned, we have several assets that we're selling, and we'll talk about that more on our earnings call, and it's mostly the preferred asset. I think by the end of the year, we'll be less than 50-50 assisted living and independent memory care and 
assisted living. So the private pay side of our business will be more than 50%, I believe, if these assets that we are in the process of selling actually close and get sold. Got it. What sort of interest are you seeing, you know, where are you seeing the interest rather from buyers? What kind of buyers are on the market now trying to get those assets? Is it still sort of the smaller regional players, private equity? It's predominantly private equity. Within any portfolio, you'll have a couple of very nice assets and they will draw the attention of, and I'm not saying it's Enzyme, but draw the attention of somebody like an Enzyme who might be looking to add to a footprint that they have in a particular state. But predominantly, we are seeing private equity interested in these assets and a significant number of private equity. I'm amazed when I get the first list of who's asked for the book, the number of people who ask for it. Now, that quickly whittles down, but there's still a significant interest in the older regional skilled nursing assets. Yeah, the rise of private equity investment is something that I've seen and we've we've, we've written about and I, I hear it from a lot of different sources. Do you think that's a good thing for the industry to have this kind of new interest or are there challenges? I know some of the private equity ownership of facilities has kind of been blamed for some of the, the issues that some facilities that have struggled. Whereas on the flip side, I've had providers tell me, oh, yeah, we love working with private equity. It's more nimble. We can get more financing without going through layers of bureaucracy. So what do you think the challenges are, are, and opportunities are there? Well, the challenges are new owners who don't really understand the business. It's a very specific business. And over my career, I've seen various types of equity come into the marketplace. Like years ago, GE was buying everything that that they could buy, and where are they today? Private REITs several years ago were buying everything that they could buy, and where are they today? Formation was buying everything that they could buy, and where are they today? Formation at least understood the business. They're just not a force in the industry anymore. The force in the industry seems to be private equity. Now, some of the private equity people may actually have owned nursing homes before and actually understand the operations of nursing home and the challenges of the regulations and the reimbursement. And others may just see it as real estate that can be levered and getting money cheaply today and a fairly high leverage you can get a good return if you don't intend to reinvest in the asset. I've seen some private equity, and we've talked to some private equity that actually have some experience in the industry, and other private equity are actually looking at it like apartment buildings that have older people in them. So my concern is that level of investment that's just looking at these assets as real estate. Yeah. And it's not just real estate. And I I think, again, you're hitting on a point that we hear a lot is that it really does come down to operational experience and managerial experience. You really can't look at this like any other asset. It might even be difficult for someone who has senior housing experience to come into this industry. So people who think uh, apartment buildings with older people in it, yeah, I can see how that might be a problem. Yeah. Well, our concern is that they put finance people in charge that don't understand the finances, the reimbursement, the technicalities of accessing government funds, whether it's state government funds or federal government funds, and the rules and regulations that an operator has to do and tries to impress upon an operator they need to cut here or cut there because they really don't understand the dollars that have to be spent to maintain the quality of care that every every operator is trying to maintain. Yeah. So with that, 
in mind to talk about these trends, talking about bankruptcies and new sources of capital. Where do you, where do you see the industry going in the next five to ten years in terms of growth, in terms of investor interest, and also in terms of capabilities? You know, we we hear a lot about how nursing homes are going to have to specialize; they're going to have to be like a step down unit from a hospital. Uh, so I'm just curious on your take about where you see the business going over the next five to ten years. Well, right now, I think there's going to be more of a asset class that is more the custodial nursing home rather than the nursing home that is going to be for everyone. There's just a level of people that just need a safe place and care to be given to them that is not assisted living. It's a little bit more intense than assisted living, but they're not going to rehab and move out of the location that they're in. I think we'll have more closures of, of nursing homes, and I think we're, we're seeing that in some of the rural areas. What concerns me is getting the newer generation interested in operating skilled nursing facilities. You don't see many younger management teams. We've accessed a couple, and they're more of a rehab operator than the traditional long-term skilled nursing operator. Hopefully, we can do some deals with some of these younger operating teams. I see a, a bit of a bifurcation of the skilled nursing. I don't fully understand what the benefit of the new dialysis rules are, but that seems to be very exciting if you're going to have a more acute skilled nursing platform than just the custodial. So that's, you know, that's a new line of business, so new care that can be given in the skilled nursing facility. I don't see a lot of new building going on. If it's a new build, it is going to probably be one of these transitional short-term stay, which will not be a big facility, not 120 beds or something like that, but more towards what used to be considered a rehab hospital. Now will be a rehab skilled nursing type of hospital. I think Main Street tried to do that a few years ago, and they were really big into that and probably a little ahead of the time or what they built was too encompassing because I think they had some assisted in it too. But a couple of the things that we've looked at are kind of Main Street light, taking the Main Street idea and kind of paring it down to the actual parts that did work. That's something that's kind of exciting to see these properties coming. Yeah, there's that new company, Bridgemore, that took over some of the Main Street buildings in Texas. And we had their Mark Fritz, their CEO, spoke at uh, our event. And I, I came away from it very impressed with their level of detail and their kind of knowledge of the marketplace. And I think they might be doing it right in the sense that they're starting small, where maybe Main Street started a little too big. Mm-hmm. A lot of good ideas might be just a little ahead of their time. Exactly. And I think that what they're doing now, at least in the early going, is pretty exciting from what I've heard. But yeah, it's also interesting that you mentioned the long-term custodial care aspect, because you're right that that does seem to be, there's not as much of a focus on it, at least in terms of new construction. I see these alerts and we get news all the time about new SNFs that are opening. And you're right that nine times out of 10, they're a higher end transitional care facility. They're going after you know younger and younger people who might want to, who need a couple of days of rehab after a surgery. But there's still going to be a great need for long-term care in this country, and there doesn't seem to be as much interest in it as an asset class. So it's something that I think is a bigger problem that the industry is going to have to reckon with sooner or later. It's very similar to the discussion at the assisted living and independent living side relative to the more affordable Mm -hmm. platform. 
because these custodial that we're talking about are probably going to be Medicaid. And that is a very, very thin slice of profit if you are all Medicaid or predominantly Medicaid. It is a business that's going to be a struggle for the skilled nursing and and society and governments. Yeah, I still think it's going to be fascinating as the population ages. It's one of those big problems that has to be solved, but I think no one really knows how to solve it yet in terms of finding the right balance of institutional care, home care, different settings, mm-hmm. different settings that may not you know exist yet. It's going to be a challenge at the federal and the state level for a long time to come. Well, right now it's being taken care of because most NIFs combine Medicare and Medicaid, and Medicare provides enough of a profit that Medicaid can be there. But when the Texas legislature didn't give a rate increase uh, this year to Texas, it, it was very shocking because Texas already has one of the lowest Medicaid reimbursements in the state and huge, huge number of beds. So Texas is going to be a state that is going to test this Medicaid amount and how much is needed for people in the state of Texas. Yeah, Medicaid issues have kind of dominated our coverage for the last year because they do come up. That's the other reason that all of these companies are having financial trouble, or at least that's what they blame publicly is Medicaid rates. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw it in Wisconsin. We've seen it in Massachusetts and they're dealing with closures because the cost of care just is too much relative to what they're getting for it. It's fascinating from a coverage standpoint to go and see how all these different states are doing it, but it's also a challenge because it's inconsistent. Every state has a lot of free reign to do what they want on Medicaid, and it leads to very variable care. It does, and one of the things that a couple of the states have done, and I think it was Florida when Rick Scott was the governor, was look at the regulations. If you ask an operator, if you could save money in regulation or get a little rate increase, which would you take? And most of them would say regulations because it's a cost that is sort of invisible, but everything they have to do for an annual survey, if you had a totally tag-free annual survey, couldn't you think that you'll get one every other year? But no, you get one every year. And so the cost of preparing for a survey, and then if you do get a tag, the cost of clearing that tag and everything that goes with it, So the state of Texas or any state, besides looking at putting more dollars out, should also look at what are they requiring an operator to do that is labor-intensive but not a real benefit. But, of course, everybody who's in the regulatory side, because all of our regulations are needed and they're totally supported. But I think a lot of attention should be done at the state level to say, can we take some costs out of the system regulation-wise? Mm-hmm. Well, Wendy, I could talk about Medicaid and state regulations all day, but I'm going to I'm going to let you go, and I'm going to let our listeners go as well. All so, right. thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Alex. Bye. Right, take care. Hey, thanks for listening to Rethink: The Future of Skilled Nursing. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And for even more coverage of the post-acute and long-term healthcare industry, sign up for our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Alex Spanko, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.